Now, if I don't normally dress like this, so just a disclaimer, uh, I don't dress like a ringmaster, as you can tell, it kind of is a little bit big. I have a short problem, so it doesn't work well when you hire costumes. But today, if you haven't noticed, I really want to share with you all about going above and beyond with the way we love others. And that's kind of what our, our whole family service has been kind of pointing to this morning. And I really believe the simplicity of just loving others really has the power to change lives. And I don't know about anyone else in here, but I know it's something I don't do enough of. Which, when I think about it, is a bit funny, because that's the only thing that Jesus commands us to do. And I know I don't do enough of it. And today I kind of want to unpack one of these last commandments Jesus gives. And it's in John 13, and it's verses 31 to 38. But before we start looking at that, I kind of want to take a bird's eye view. Because I think if we take a bird's eye view, we can kind of see some of the context, and it helps us a little bit more with understanding the story. So this story, if you're not familiar with the Gospel of John, takes place when Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem. He's pretty much there, and they're having a Passover feast. So what that was, is that was in ancient cultures. They would celebrate what Moses did in the exodus he led them from, from Egypt. And it was a really special moment, and he's having this Passover feast, and he has the crucifixion and everything just in front of him. So like next chapter, he's arrested. He goes to jail. He's on trial. All these big things are happening. And even more than that, Jesus just got done, before he says this stuff, he just got done doing the nastiest thing I could imagine and washing people's feet. So in ancient cultures, they used to walk really far and they didn't have shoes. They had sandals. And you imagine walking 10 or 20 Ks in sandals and the dust and the dirt and the mud and all the buildup you would get in between your toes and in between the cracks of it. And what would you do is when you got to somebody's house or to a place, either a servant at the house or the lowest person in your group would get down, take off their robe, and they would get on a knee and wipe your feet. And they would clean everyone's feet. And Jesus just gets done doing this. He just gets done washing the feet of a disciple named Judas, who, if you don't know the story, is kind of the disciple that betrayed Jesus. So this is kind of what's happened right before. And if I can paint it a little bit more, I like to imagine this as like a last hoorah kind of moment. Because right before Jesus gives this command, it's his last, you know, big hoorah with his disciples before he's taken away. And I don't know if you guys are into sports, but I love sports. Does anyone else love sports in here? A couple of people? That's good. There's at least four of us. That's nice. Uh, for me, being from the States, I played the best sport in the world. Growing up in high school, American football, it's super tough and super manly. You guys don't really understand that, but it's, it's okay. We hit so hard, we got to wear pads and stuff. But in American football, something that used to happen quite often especially when I was in high school, is we would kind of get in a huddle. Right before you we went out, you could hear the crowd out there in the you know, stadium, and you'd have your little huddle, and your coach would give you a motivational speech to kind of get you ready for the game because he's not able to be in your ear every two seconds when you're on the field. So it's like his last hoorah. And I feel like this is one of those moments. And so you all can understand these kind of speeches that are normally given in these kind of you know, huddle moments that I like to call them. I got a video that's going to come up in a second of my favorite team and one of my favorite NFL players named Drew Brees doing one of these pregame huddles before his game. So if we can just put that on. 
So yeah, that's what I picture that moment was, right? It's like Jesus is about to go. Let's let's huddle up. Let's get our, you know, let's see what's going to happen. Let's get this motivation. And I don't know about you guys, but who in here feels a little bit pumped after watching that? Or is it just me? Am I the only one? Like, I'm ready to go tackle somebody right now. Like, let's just, let's go. Let's end this. But that's what I think this kind of moment is. When I read it, when I look at the context of the story, I feel like it's one of those kind of moments, a huddle moment. And now, I kind of want to look at what Jesus says in this moment. So we're going to read from John 13, and we're going to go from verses 31 to 38. But it should come up on the screen behind me. So let's start looking at what this story tells us. And it says in verse 31, it starts, When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the time for the Son of Man to receive his glory. And God will receive glory through him. If God receives glory through him, he will give glory to the Son through himself. And that will happen very soon. And I want to pause there for a second because... Before, like, in, before Jesus says anything, you know, it's kind of like this huddle moment. Everybody hands in, let's go, you know, disciples are gathered around. He sees Judas leave. And for those of us who don't know the story, Jesus, Judas is leaving to go and betray him. And Jesus knows all this is happening. He knows what Judas is doing. He knows about the cross and all that stuff coming. He's preparing his last little motivational speech for his disciples before the cross, before they really have to step up their game a whole lot more. He's, this is his last come on, guys, kind of moment. And he sees Judas leave. And I don't know about y'all, but Judas was a close friend of Jesus. He was one of his trusted disciples. And if I just saw one of my good mates go and leave and betray me, I don't know if my motivational speech would be that great. And it might just have a little bit of anger in it. Like I watched 18 seconds of Drew Brees pumping up his huddle and I'm like ready to go tackle people. So I can only imagine if I see my best friend about to go betray me. Someone who's really close. And I think it's really interesting what Jesus says. So I want to look at that now. So if we go to the next slide. This is what he said. Jesus said, my children, I will be with you only a short time more. You will look for me, but I tell you now what I told the Jewish leaders. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other just as I loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love one another. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, wait, really? Jesus is one commandment. This is your huddle moment. You know, where's our Drew Brees? Win, win. None, none of that. It's, you know, go love one another. Is it really that simple? Just loving one another, showing love to people, is that all we really have to do? To really sum up everything Jesus does? Is it that simple? It just, for me, it doesn't click. And I kind of want to see what the disciples thought about it. So let's keep going in our story. Simon Peter asked, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, will you really give your life for me? 
The truth is, before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't know me. Now, I want to be honest with you guys. I feel like I would have responded like Peter. And I feel like the way Peter responded was he didn't listen to the whole story. He was hung up on the first bit. He was still hung up with Jesus saying, you know, I'm going away. And he's like, wait, what? And he's thinking his response for Jesus going away. So he doesn't really hear the whole command about loving one another. He misses the gold in the middle because he's too busy trying to think of a response. He's too busy trying to think of what to say to the situation. And I don't know about anyone else in the room, but as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, I know I really struggle sometimes to listen to everything someone has to tell me before I respond. Even to listen to someone and hear everything they have to tell me before I'm starting to think about what I'm going to say back. Because half the time, and maybe it's a guy thing or it's just a Matt thing, so I shouldn't rip all the guys in it, I'm thinking how to fix it. So like if my wife's sitting there talking to me about something really important, she probably just wants me to sit and and listen, and hear her. In my mind, I'm like, no, i got to solve this problem. Let's fix it. All right, what did she say first? All right, she said that. All right, if I do that, I move the T here, move X there. Maybe we... That's how my mind goes. It's really hard to listen sometimes. But I think when we really go above and beyond, like Jesus is calling us to with the way we love others, it allows us to listen to everything that a person says. Even the middle part where there's that little bit of gold we might have missed if we weren't paying that close enough attention. And when I was preparing for this morning, I was kind of thinking, like, really, I'm going to get up in front of church in a, you know, ringmaster outfit and talk about the simplicity of loving others. Like, come on, God, give give me something else. Like, give me something a bit sassy, a bit juicy. Like, let's, come on. This is, but... I kept seeking them in a quiet time, and this is what I kept having come back to me. And I kind of thought to myself, you guys were going to think I've gone like full-blown hippie or something. But in the stillness, this message, this theme kept coming back. So after it kept coming back, I started to think in my own life about this love and the kind of impact it's had for me. So I want to share with you all two people who showed me this kind of love and are a big reason I'm the man I am today. A photo should be coming up of Kim and I on our wedding day next to our Nana and Pop. Oh, look at that. That's Nana and Pop if you didn't know the ones on the end. That's not me and Kim, just in case. But if you can't tell in that photo, and we can leave it up for a second, I'm very young. I'm 19. And if you can't tell by Kim, because she looks beautiful always, but she's very pregnant. So a bit of my story, I was 19, came here, was here a month and a day, and then got married. And when this photo was taken, I was within two months of having my first son. I was happy in this picture, and I look happy, and I don't want to say I didn't love my wedding. I loved my wedding. It was the best day of my life, getting to marry my uh, beautiful high school sweetheart. Kim is an amazing person. But I was terrified at the same time. Has anyone else ever had a moment like that where you're happy and terrified in one? Does no one else? Or am I just a weirdo? I'll be the only weirdo. I'm like that. That was that kind of moment. Before my wedding, I cried tears of joy and tears of fear because I did not know what I was doing. I was a 19-year-old kid. I didn't even have permission when this photo was taken. Oh, it's gone now. I saw the back of my head, which looked good. But no, when that photo was taken, 
I didn't have permission to work in Australia yet. I had no money. I was $1,000, no wait, $2,000 short on paying for the visa that I needed. I was missing my family and friends back home because obviously they weren't there for that. I was really struggling. I needed something solid to hold me up. And Nana and Pop were those solid rocks during this time in my life. I still remember as soon as I stepped off the plane in Australia, they accepted me as family. And there was this unconditional love that I could never seem to shake off no matter what I did. Consistently, they supported Kim and I till the day they passed away in a tragic car accident. And this car accident, which was pretty sad, happened right after they were praying for my son Gideon who was having seizures in the hospital. And if I'm honest, losing him hurt. It still hurts today. They were amazing and a big part of my life. And they had this impact because they consistently went above and beyond with loving us. They were loving like Jesus called them to. They did it for us and they did it for countless others. And loving like Jesus called us, I want to be clear, doesn't mean I have to agree with everything someone else says. Like it doesn't mean it's just fluff and bubbles and let's throw our flower petals everywhere. No, loving like Jesus called doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that someone says. I remember countless times that Pop and me didn't agree. And Pop was, he was really good. He would pull me into his office when we lived with him at first and say, Matt, I need you to have a talk. And he'd sit me down and I'd sit down. And he'd give me a four-page, maybe even a ten-page if I was really in trouble. And it'd be stapled together, front and back. And it would be his thoughts, his reflection on how to do the family stuff. And we would have these great conversations. And we didn't always agree. But there was always so much love within these conversations. And the reason we didn't agree sometimes, I'd love to be up here and be like, oh, it was pop. But I mean, if I'm honest... There should be another photo coming up of me at our wedding reception. Yeah, look at that stylish guy. Right, right. Good looking fellow, I know. Yeah, those green shoes are great. Kim didn't let me wear them at the wedding. She was a bit, you know, but that's all right. But when I got to the reception, I got to put them on. But you can see in that photo, I'm a hot mess. Like, I'm a kid. I'm a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. I thought my green shoes were the new fashion. Everyone else just needed to catch up. Pop did not think they were new fashion, and I'm sure a lot of people agreed with him. But throughout all these conversations I had with Pop, there was always so much love. And I remember when we finished every conversation, even the hard ones, there would be a hug, but it wasn't like a forced hug. I don't know if anyone in here has siblings. I know kids might have siblings in here, and you might have been forced to hug your sibling or, you know, hug someone and say sorry, but you don't mean it. Like, you just kind of hug because it's like, yeah, yeah, and then you get out of there. But he would give me these hugs that weren't like that. They were full with love. I don't know how to describe them, but I just know there was so much love in these hugs. And we would always finish these conversations, even the hard ones, on a good note. And uh, Nana, who was amazing, I think there's another photo coming up. And you can look at the photo of her at our wedding reception. She's an, she was an amazing lady. Man, I look so young. Sorry, let's keep going. But yeah, she was an amazing lady. I still remember I got off the plane. 
And when I came into Australia, I should have got a photo of that. I had a red shirt that looked like Christmas. I had black pants. And I had a very bright green tie. Because my mom told me I, had to be, I was Kim's Christmas present from her. So I was told to dress like that. And my mom said, so I did it. I flew all the way to Australia looking fabulous. <laughs> but I remember the first time I met Nana. She called me her grandson. And for a 19-year-old kid who just left everything he knew, not knowing what some of my family back home thought of me and what was going to happen, it meant a lot. And she accepted me as family before me and Kim said I do. And since she claimed me, she had to educate me on Australian culture. So that meant morning teas, meat pies, and then a weird movie called The Castle. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. So I still don't understand all of that movie, but she told me I had to watch it, so I did what Nana said. But she was such a loving person for our family. She did so much for Kim and I and really blessed us. And when I spent some time reflecting the past couple of weeks on Nana and Pop and all the things they've done for my little tribe, tribe, not tribe, tribe, and all the things they've done, I kept thinking of not these big moments of, you know, you know, like they're coming in and like kicking down a fire for me or something. No, I remember the little consistent stuff. Over and over and over and over and over again, they just went above and beyond with the way they loved us. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I would not be the person I am right now if it wasn't for Nana and Pop. So I want to ask you guys a question. What does it look like for you to go above and beyond with the way you love others? Maybe it would be listening to everything someone was saying and not thinking of your response. Or maybe, if your kid's in the room, it's helping your parents without them asking. I know, that's a big one, right? Or maybe, even if you're a kid in the room, it's, or an adult, showing up for people who are in need. If you know someone's hurting, if you know someone's not doing well, you show up. You don't have to bring a cake. You just show up and bring your presents. Or maybe it's making sure when you have tough conversation with someone, you say how much you care at the end. Not in a way of, I love you. But like, you know, you got to work down real deep and actually say it. I haven't mastered that yet. So if anyone in the room does, that'd be great. Or respecting other people's opinions and beliefs. Not being upset if someone thinks or sees the world different, but accepting it. Not trying to battle every little thing. Or maybe the hardest thing at all, the hardest thing, at least for me, is to be the first one to say sorry. Uh, wait, no, crap, Kim's here. She heard me say that. Oh, she knows. I'm horrible at saying sorry first. But maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's doing something that little. And I don't know what it looks like for you guys. But as the band starts making their way up, I remember countless conversations with Nana and Pop. I remember them consistently going above and beyond with the way they showed love for me and for my amazing little family. They even got to see me become an Australian citizen. They were the only people I could invite people, couldn't invite many but I invited them to, to come see me become a citizen. They got to see me give a speech that night and like made a good night of it. And it was amazing. And that kind of love they showed me 
really was this above and beyond kind of love that I feel Jesus calls us to, which is his one commandment. So the band's slowly making their way back up. And before we go out and we have the jumping castles and donuts, and I think there's going to be face painting, hopefully, and a couple other things, I want to ask everyone in the room if you want to take a challenge with me. And the challenge is simply going above and beyond with the way we love each other. And the kind of love that Jesus really called us to. And the kind of love that's messy, that's not perfect, that's not, you know, picture book, Hollywood kind of story. It's real, it's messy, it's gritty, that kind of love. And if you want to take that up, I really encourage you to. And if anything I said today had any effect where you want to come forward for prayer or anything like that, I'll hang around at the front. Some of the other pastors and elders will be up here too if you need prayer for anything. But I really want you to not forget that Jesus loves you with an unconditional love. And when we go above and beyond with the way we love others, I believe it truly has the power to change the world. Thank you guys so much.